the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. For those of you who didn't hear, we'll begin our journey through Paul's first letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy. It's actually referred to as one of the three pastoral letters that Paul wrote. There are 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, and all these are written to young pastors who are in a very difficult position. They're in churches, are in situations that are somewhat unruly and difficult, and Paul writes these letters to instruct them in doctrine. He writes it for the purpose of admonition and encouragement both to them and to the church. I got to tell you that whenever we start a new book, I think I find the introduction probably my most, the most difficult for me personally, because I start into it with the premise that so much of this is going to be information and that to some degree it's just going to be academic, but that is just the perception of my soul. It is part of the Word of God, and every word that he writes and every word that he speaks has power and purpose. So we look at this with a sense of expectation. Like so many of the letters that Paul wrote, he is addressing problems in a church that he founded, the church in Ephesus. And as we have noted before, the enemy is always quick to rush in where the flesh allows. And that's what has happened here. Whenever Paul would move on from a church, false teachers, deceivers, and that whole unruly lot would show up and seek to gain a following within the church. And, you know, as I read these letters, one of the first things I look for is, why did the people follow these guys? Why did the people fall away? How did that happen? What were the first steps that led God's people to walk away from truth? Because let's be honest, if they can be led away, so can we. It's not a unique problem that only plagued the churches of that era. The enemy has not become passive. He has not become lethargic concerning the children of God or the church of God. He's every bit as active as he was before. And I'll tell you, I'll let you in a little secret. 
His methods haven't changed a whole lot. So as we look at this, we can also see in it some warnings about how we secure our souls and the truth. And you notice I said our souls. Because our spirits are new. And they are perfected in Christ. And the spirit does not move from truth. But the soul will. Because the soul is simply a vessel that is filled with whatever we allow to fill it. We tend to think of the soul as who we are, but that's not the reality. There are some very clear pathways of departure that allow teachers of heresy to gain ground, and particularly in this one spiritually vibrant church. And we will look at those in depth because those are important for us to see. And Paul plainly states his purpose in writing this letter. If you look in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, he writes, I hope to come to you before long, but I am writing these instructions to you in case I am delayed, so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. And in this letter, Paul lays out some very clear instructions on how the church should conduct itself. Now, please understand that behavior does not create truth. Behavior should come as a result of truth. Truth should create behavior. In any case... You will hear Paul's instructions, and in any of Paul's uh, instructions, there is a presumption that the hearer will attend them with an obedience that is the activity of his life. In other words, he is not asking you to get up and activate your flesh and put your last bit of fleshy effort into this. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and get out there and work till Jesus comes. That is not what he's saying. When we get instruction from Paul, he comes from the presumption that we have a desire to see the truth of God acted out in our behavior. We want to be affirmed and fulfilled in the work of God through us. We want obedience to be our nurture. We want to yield to the Spirit of God and watch the outworking of His Spirit in the things and the people around us. It's a presumption that we have a passion to live the truth, not just to act like it. And that's what he's calling us to. We uh, will talk about the behavior and the proper conduct, but if it's not the outworking of a yielded spirit, then it will be the work of flesh, and that really doesn't profit anybody anything. There are plenty of places, people, and I hate to say it, churches, that are about the work of the flesh. That's not what we're about. We're not looking to become religious. We're looking to honor God through our obedience. Today, it's my plan to look at only the greeting and to give you an introduction and some history concerning 1 Timothy and Timothy himself. Of course, we'll just see where the Spirit leads us because I don't know for sure where we'll end up. We'll look at the two verses. As I mentioned before, there are only three pastoral epistles. 
1 Timothy, which is clearly a pastoral epistle because Paul gives a great deal of instruction concerning the care and the oversight of the church. And then uh, I'll agree with some others to say 2 Timothy is more of a personal letter to Timothy to encourage him in his spiritual walk. And then the third letter being Titus, which is also pastoral, and it speaks directly to the church and its conduct. Now, while these letters are addressed to individuals, it is expected that they would be read in church. Paul knows they're going to be read in church. And so you'll know from the very beginning as he begins to address, introduce himself, he introduces himself, but he knows Timothy quite well, and Timothy knows him. You kind of ask yourself the question, has Timothy forgotten who Paul is? No. Paul understands exactly what the, what the need is, and he wants the church to know, as I'll bring up later, he wants that church to know that these words came from him to them and from God to him. So, as we look at this, let's keep that in mind. Now, while these letters are about conduct and behavior within the church, Understand that all of the conduct and behavior in the church is a correction that Paul is bringing forward because there's been so much heretical teaching, so much deception, so many changes within this church that he had to set it aright. So you're going to see him address all kinds of things in this letter. Now about Timothy. Timothy was from Lystra, which is a city in the Roman province of Galatia. We just got through with Galatians. And that is a part of Turkey. And Paul led Timothy to Christ while ministering in Lystra on his second missionary journey. And that name, Timothy, by by the way, means one who honors God. One who honors God. Now, we would say, you know, his his mother and grandmother named him that in hopes of how he would turn out. But you know what? I just don't believe that everything is left to the will and to the decision of parents. I believe children arrive exactly where they're intended by the will of God, and it is his will that attends their life. And Ephesians 2.10 tells us that the path that they're on is God's path. It doesn't mean it's a perfect path. It means it's a perfect path for them. It means that on that path, they can choose all kinds of things, but at the end of the day, they're going to go exactly where that path takes them. And that is the sovereignty of God as it works in our lives. So he was named Timothy. And Paul led Timothy to Christ while ministering in Lystra on his second missionary journey. Timothy was raised by his mother and grandmother, both of whom were devout Jews, and his father was a Greek merchant. It's actually believed that his father passed away long before Timothy ever met Paul because there's very little mention of him. He had been raised by his mother and his grandmother, and his mother and grandmother educated him from very early on in the Scriptures, which for them was the Old Testament. So he had a a good grasp of the Old Testament. Timothy's actual first encounter with Paul was probably during Paul's first missionary journey during his visit to Lystra, which is recorded in Acts 14. And you'll remember this story because Acts comes in 
And he, uh, Paul comes in and he says, he's speaking to the people, he's preaching to the people, and he looks over and he sees a cripple over in the corner, and he sees the guy's got faith to be healed. How does he see that? I don't know. But he sees the guy's got faith to be healed, and he commands him to get up. And the guy gets up, and then he begins walking and leaping and praising God. Great deal of excitement. He can walk. And when this started, the people, after they saw what happened, they come and they they try to take Paul and Barnabas and give sacrifices to them because they believe they're gods. They declare them to be gods. And Paul and Barnabas are, are, are very grieved by this. In fact, they, they tear their robes and they say, we're not gods, we're just men. We've come to tell you about the one true God. And they're trying to put the party down a little bit. About that time, the Jews from Antioch, probably of the circumcision, the Jews from Antioch arrive and they immediately went over the crowd And the crowd changes, the mood changes dramatically, and they grab Paul up and they stone him and drag his body outside of the city and leave him for dead. Now, think about that, guys. A stoning back in that day wasn't picking up a handful of pea gravel and throwing it at you. I mean, that might sting, but it's not going to kill. A stoning in that day, and some of you have seen that, some of you have been to the Holy Land, as it's called, The stones over there are no small thing. They're not a joke. And these guys would literally heave these huge rocks at these guys, and and they would break every bone in their body. That, That was how they stoned people to death. Usually, off the side of a bluff or a, a hill, they would throw them down at them. And so they they'd stoned Paul, and they left him in a heap out there, And they drug him out, outside of the city. And after that, this is interesting, the Bible makes note of this, but really doesn't tell us a whole lot about what happened. The the disciples gather in a circle around him. Now, what do you think they were doing? They weren't saying, doesn't he look natural? No, they 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 were sitting there praying. They were calling out to God. And at that point, Paul just gets up. And you would think, after all of that, that warm reception in Lystra, he would hightail it out of there. What do you think he did? He turns around and walks right back in and begins to preach. Well, there was actually a little bit of a revival there. People begin to say, you know what, this guy's no joke. (laughs) There's something very real about this guy. And we believe that amongst the crowd... One, some of those that witnessed what happened with Paul was Timothy, his mother, and grandmother. So we believe that uh, at that point, there was an impact on their lives. That was Timothy's actual first encounter with Paul. So in Acts 16, Paul returns to Lystra. And on his second visit, the disciples came to him and told him about the faith and devotion of a young convert named Timothy. And Paul was so impressed by Timothy, he wanted Timothy to go with him. Timothy was a young man at this point. He wasn't very old. He was in his late teens or early 20s. And Timothy was Paul's disciple from that point forward. His friend, his co-laborer, he stayed as close to Paul as he could. But it wasn't Paul that drew him. It was the Spirit of God. 
You know, folks, we're not about the ministry of the flesh. We're about the ministry of the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. And when we have people that that we are drawn to, because we are new creations, we got to know that drawing can very well be the opportunity for the Spirit of God in you to minister to them. And when the Spirit of God brings people in your life, it's for the purpose of ministry. Now, it's always the flesh and the selfishness of man that turns around and turns it into something opportunistic. But that is not God's intention. We have had the best and the greatest opportunity in Christ. And our opportunity is how we live in Christ. And so, when we connect with people, we don't, even even in the relationship between a husband and wife, do you think God has just a physical purpose, a fleshy purpose in putting man and woman together? Absolutely not. The ministry of Christ is literally there in your spouse and you for them. And how do you know love? You love one another. And how do you know to honor? You honor one another. And how do you know how to give? You give to one another. In all of those things, you experience the outworking of the Spirit of God. And Timothy is drawn to Paul by the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God is going to enable Timothy to carry forward Paul's message to be a minister and an assistant unto Paul and to be a ministry unto Paul. You think Paul was a ministry to Timothy? Well, I'm sure that's true. But even more so, Timothy to Paul, because Timothy's ministry was one of complete abandonment to Christ, one of complete yieldedness to Christ, to allow Christ to move and do whatever he wanted to do through Paul. Timothy participated in the work of Christ through Paul. So Paul was very impressed. He says, I want this young man to come with me. And Timothy followed Paul. And Paul wrote to Timothy this letter that he's written. He wrote it shortly after his release from his first Roman imprisonment. And after Paul's release in Acts 28, Paul decided he was going to go back and revisit all the churches that he had ministered to and founded, and that included Ephesus. And Timothy ministered with and for Paul for about 20 years, or around 20 years, from his conversion in his teens till he was about 35. It is believed that Timothy was later killed in Ephesus because he'd been preaching against the cult of Diana. Now, Ephesus was a very important church. It was the lead church of Asia Minor. And Paul had personally pastored this church for three years. When he and Timothy arrived there, he found that it was completely in disarray because carnality had taken root. Heresy was prevalent. And heretical leaders were in charge. They had carnal leaders. So in verse 20 of this very chapter, Paul deals with two such leaders, and he cast them from the church and, quote, handed them over to Satan so that they will be disciplined and taught not to blaspheme. Now, this wasn't easy for Paul. He poured his life into these people for three years. He walked away, and and Satan had moved in. You would think, 
God would have said, and we might have said, you know what? Three years is enough. You guys don't get it. I'm going to go to somebody who can. Thrown up his hands and walked off, right? We've done that, right? But our God is tenacious. He never gives up on his children. He never walks away from his children. Once you become a child of God, there's no coming and going with God. You literally live in union with His Spirit. And where you go, His Spirit goes. And if you're in rebellion, His Spirit is attending you with truth. And here's the thing that I tell people all the time when they're concerned about loved ones who've gone their own way. Don't believe for a second that God has given up. And don't believe for a second that you're their only hope. Because the same God that brought them into truth is the God who's attending them with truth right in this moment. Every time that they enter into sin, they have to choose sin. The child of God cannot passively walk into sin without any sense that he's doing it. How come? Because he has the Spirit of God in him. So every time they choose to sin, they choose against God. They choose against truth. They choose against a sense of what is normal. They choose against balance. They choose against hope. They choose against all of the things that make humanity what God created them to be. And they know it. That's why so many of them are so angry. That's what rebellion is to a large extent. It's anger. In verse 20, Paul deals with these leaders, in verse 20, and there's a lot of turmoil there. There were a lot of people that needed to be disciplined. There were a lot of things to be straightened out. And this was a difficult time to be ministering in. This was tough times. It was a troublesome day in history. It was a day when turmoil and rebellion seemed to be the norm. And it's interesting, Tacitus wrote, on this very time, he wrote, he writes about this time in history, this phase in history, and he writes, I am entering upon the history of a period rich in disaster, doomy with wars, rent with seditions, nay, savage in its very hours of peace. Four emperors, four emperors have perished by the sword. There were three civil wars. There were more with, with foreigners, and some had the character of both at once. Rome wasted by fire. Its oldest temples burned. The very capital set in flames by Roman hands. The defilement of sacred rites. Adultery in the high places. The sea crowded with exiles. Island rocks drenched with blood. Yet wilder was the frenzy in Rome. Nobility, wealth... The refusal of office, its acceptance, everything was a crime and virtue was the surest way to ruin. He is writing of the day of Timothy and Paul. But it sounds a lot like the day we're living in. It really does. So Paul arrives to find the church looking a lot like the world. Because if the church is about the flesh of men, then it is only a religious version of the world, filled with distortions of truth, and a people who are ruled by their flesh. It will no longer reflect the God that it worships. In a corporate sense, it will reflect the flesh that goes there. Sad. 
These are Christians that, and get this, it's only 30 years since the death and resurrection of Christ. 30 years. They had, some of them had actually witnessed part of this. And they, they, they were alive at that point of history. And yet, they'd been pulled away. And yet, they entered into this carnality. But you know, Paul was not taken completely by surprise. He predicts the whole thing in Acts 20. Acts 20, verses 28 through 30, he says, Take care and be on guard for yourselves, for the whole flock over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd, tend, feed, and guide the church of God, which he brought with his own blood, I know that after I am gone, false teachers like ferocious wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Even from your own selves, men will rise, speaking perverse and distorted things, to draw away the disciples after themselves as their followers. Now, maybe Paul hoped for a better outcome, that these believers would somehow hold fast to the truth. But even the leaders were led astray. And this is the exact same church that John writes about in Revelation. It's the church of Ephesus that the the Revelation was written to. And he writes these verses that we've looked at many times. Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. He says to them, But I have this charge against you, that you have left your first love. You have lost the depth of love that you first had for me. So remember the heights from which you have fallen, and repent, change your inner self, your old way of thinking, your sinful behavior. Seek God's will and do the works you did at first when you first knew me. Otherwise, I will visit you and remove your lampstand. The church, its impact from its place, unless you repent. Do you think they lost their salvation? Is that what he's telling them? They haven't lost their salvation. What they've done is they have neglected and ignored the truth within them. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.